The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 96 The Slings and Arrows 1880, July 20th, Paris, France I love to read. Penelope continued to buy me dime novels, and I continued to study every book I could in the library. Having read everything I could find on Greek myth, I began to study Norse, Egyptian, and even Christian myths. It amused me that everybody seemed to have a theory about the end of the world. I would have thought at least one religion would simply believe the world would continue, but instead they all seemed obsessed on how it would end. But I've met Hades, so surely it's the Greek myths that are true, I asked Penelope. Not necessarily. Yes, you've met Hades, and yes, he is the god of death, but there are many, many gods, and the myths were not told by them. They were told by men trying to explain nature, life, emotion, and yes, even a glimpse of the divine they stumbled across one day as you did. The gods are far older than the myths. How do we know it's not Zeus who created the Christian religion? How do we know it's not some son of his that was killed on the cross? The story is there to help us. And if it helps us, then maybe it's as true as it needs to be. The reality behind the structure of something so complicated as everything would not fit in this library. And the stories, even the ones that Hades would tell us himself, are only as true as you can understand them. So, God is Zeus. <laughs> Zeus, Odin, God. They could all be the same person from different points of view. Or they could be three different people. Or some real and some imaginary. Even the possibility that none of them really exists. Not even Hades. I believe Hades exists. Okay, then tell me. Is he alive or is he dead? He's alive, of course, but he is the god of death. He embodies and represents the idea of death. He lives in the underworld with all those who have died. He has taught all things that live what it means to be dead through example. So how can he be alive to do so? Then he's dead? But death is the end of existence. And so if he's dead, does he exist? Most people cannot see him. Even when he comes up from the underworld, he's invisible to them. He moves through the world as he wishes. Like a ghost, he could walk through walls unobstructed. Most of the time, he does not affect what we consider to be reality until something passes from reality into non-existence. He has no dominion over it. He lives in an unreal world, waiting for things to become unreal so he can claim them. How then can he be real? Because I believe in him. I believe him to be real, so he is. Your belief does not sculpt reality. If he's real, then he's real, and we don't understand why. Nor do we have to. If he's not real, then he's not real, and no matter how much you believe him to be so, it will not make him real. Then, is he real or isn't he? It's not a question of one or the other. The question is, how can both of these things be true? 
If you answer that question, then you'll understand more than I do. Penelope smiled at me as I looked confused. It'll give you something to contemplate, she said to me. Now, choose a book to read, and I'll allow you to take it with you to your room. Just promise me you won't stay up too late. I don't stay up that late. I know you stay up reading after I've tucked you in. I am not giving you permission to do so, but if you're going to do so, you might as well have something good to read. How do you know? Because once upon a time, I was also a 13-year-old girl, and I know what it's like. Now come on, pick out your book. I took some time looking for something good, but I did not go to any of the books on the far side of the library where the headmaster sat. He watched me as I browsed through the shelves. I wished he'd go away. I liked the days when he wasn't there. I probably stayed up later than Penelope had intended, but I felt like even though she didn't say so, she gave me permission. I had chosen a book I had read before, one of the tellings of the Trojan War. This one had been told from the viewpoint of Achilles. Many of the stories seemed obsessed over this one soldier, and I guess I could understand. His presence in the story seemed to overpower and distract from all of the other things that were going on. Everyone wanted to tell stories about the invincible man and how he died. I once asked Penelope if I could find a version of the story told from my perspective. She shook her head and sadly said no. She explained the misogyny of the men who had written the myths and the society that would not let female voices through. She told me if that was something I wanted to read, then first I would have to write it. I sat up in my bed reading my book when I heard the door creak. I looked over and once again saw the headmaster peeking in at me, and once again he immediately shut the door and left. I could hear his footsteps going down the hall back to his room, but this time, for once, what I didn't hear was the door lock. I set the book aside and got up from my bed. I went to the door and checked it. It opened for me, and I held my breath. He forgot to lock it. Was that a mistake? Was this a trap? My mind began to spin. Would I be in trouble if I took the opportunity to run? How could I be in more trouble than I already was? How could they make me more of a prisoner? Freedom sat outside that door, and I was going to take it. I rushed to my closet and began to dress as quickly as I could. I stepped outside into the warm summer night. I took a deep breath, and the air smelled fragrant. Dust and flowers. Roses, maybe. It smelled like freedom. Then I began to panic. I had no plan. I didn't know where I was going to go. Once they found me missing, they'll look down the road first. So instead, I turned towards the burned fields. I walked through what had once been the vast fields of grapes and now just dead remnants. My heart began to pound faster as I got away from the main house. I looked towards the barn where I knew Penelope would be sleeping. I regretted that I would disappoint her. I regretted that she would find me gone in the morning. I wonder if she would feel what her mother had felt the day she ran away. I wonder if it would take her 27 years to find me again. Where are you going, little sister? I heard someone speaking, and then I spun to look for them, but there was no one there, no one I could find. Was this one of the voices the doctor had spoken of? The voices of people that weren't there? Don't be silly. I'm right behind you. I turned around again, and there behind me stood Persephone. She was dressed in the lightest fabric. She wore no shoes, 
and the grass grew beneath her feet. A crown of flowers was woven into her hair, and she carried a basket full of grapes. I jumped in surprise and stumbled backwards, falling. Oh, dear. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Persephone leaned down, setting the basket on the ground. She offered me her hand to help me up again. Who are you? I asked her as she picked me up off the ground and dusted off my dress. I'm your sister, Persephone. Surely you recognize me? She said as she picked up the basket again. Persephone, the Greek goddess of spring and the wife of Hades. Also, the goddess of life and girlhood, daughter of Demeter and Zeus. I said, realizing it made me sound like I was being tested. That's me. And you are Helen of Troy, daughter of Leda and Zeus. That makes us half-sisters. I've never met you before. We have met many, many times. And of all my siblings, I think you're my favorite. Come, walk with me. I'm collecting grapes. There are no grapes here. The vineyard is dead. For me, nothing ever dies. Persephone held out her hand, and the grapevine next to her sprung back to life, its leaves rushing to become full again, its fruit blossoming before my eyes. She picked a handful off the vine and gave them to me. They were small, but their juice was sweet and flavorful. Persephone put more of them in her basket before continuing to walk down the vineyard. So, where are you going, little sister? I'm heading into the city. I'm going to find Paris. She stopped and stood in front of me. She looked me straight in the eyes. Paris. He is not in Paris. It would have been ironic if that's where they had been born and grown up. But if you go to Paris, you will not find them there. Where are they? America. <sighs> then I will go and earn my way back to America. How? I will find a job. As what? Um, librarian. This is a good plan. If this is the path you truly want, I will support this plan. Will it lead me back to Paris? No. But you might be happy. Things may turn out well for you. The only thing I can tell you is, if you do this, the war for you will not happen. And you will not find Paris. You want me to go find them? This is not the first time we've met. You are my favorite sister, and I have helped you struggle time and time again to hold on to a life that slips from your fingers. I've been there for you when the death of thousands is set on your shoulders. I was there for you when the love of your life and your soulmate dies young in your arms. And when the sorrow and the loneliness take your life as well, I come for you and take you home. I want to see you happy. And if happiness means walking away from your fate, I will not stop you. Then what will happen to Paris? I can only speculate, but most likely you'll have to give up the name Helen, or they will find you and bring you back. Someone else will take up your part in the game, and Paris will fall in love with her. They will fight a war for that new Helen, whoever she is, and Paris will die for someone new. Fate cannot be denied, but only fate knows whether or not it has to be you. Maybe... It's not your fate anymore. Maybe Paris will love someone else. That's not fair, I complained. Life is not fair. I am not fair. Love is fair. Aphrodite, after all, the fairest. Love only exists when love is given, 
It equals itself and balances between two people. Pairs will love you with everything that's in them. You will be their every thought, their every concern, and their every desire. They will bathe you in love, and you will learn to return it. But if you don't love them, how can they love you? They will never know you. Love is fair, but life is not. I have never been fair. I cheat, I lie, and I play games. But if you play with me, I will cheat for you. I am not fair. I always play favorites. And you are my favorite. I don't think I can be Helen. I'm not like her. I'm not strong. I can't fight. I'm just a girl. I'm not that beautiful. And even if I was, even if someday I was, how does being beautiful really help me? I can't go through a war. Everyone will die. Paris will die because of me. I'm useless. Maybe it would be better if fate found another Helen. I want to show you something. Persephone bent down and touched the ground with her finger. As she lifted her hand, slowly a flower grew. It looked like she pulled it out of the ground, like it had always been there, and she just wanted it to come out, so it did. She picked it and gave it to me. It was red, with complicated petals that blended into yellows and oranges as they came towards the center. It was framed in green leaves, and I don't think I'd ever seen anything like it before. What is it? I asked. This flower has no name. There was never anyone to name it, because by the time language was formed, this flower had passed from existence. Why? It's so beautiful. Because it's poisonous, and the creatures that ate it died. So there were those, even though they could not speak, that knew of the danger. They stomped on it when they found it. They ripped it from its beds and burned it. This flower was once feared by any creature smart enough to understand because they knew it had a weapon that would kill the ones they loved, and the people they wanted to protect. The poison? No. Its weapon is its beauty. It was beautiful and colorful, and it tempted some to pick it and take it home. They saw the beauty and suspected innocence, but this flower used beauty as a weapon. Sometimes, beauty can kill men who believe themselves to be immortal. I don't want to be a killer. I'm sorry. But there will always be men who want to enslave you. If you want your freedom, you will have to kill for it. But that's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's theirs. You have a right to your freedom. You have a right to choose which way your life goes. You have a right to walk out of this field and never return to that house. You have a right to control your own life. Anyone who tries to take it from you Anyone who insists they have the right to control you against your will is to blame for their own death, if that's what it takes to be free. Is death the only way? Sometimes war is the only path to freedom. Should we blame those people whose only options are fight, die, or live as slaves? Should we blame them for the consequences of a war they are forced to wage? Are you to blame? for the death of the soldiers who chose to go to battle against Troy. Are you to blame for the fall of Troy? Would you like to know a secret? Tell me. You weren't there. Where? Troy. All these years they call you Helen of Troy. You never set foot in the place. 
Ten years the Greek armies fought to get you back. The Trojan armies could not acquiesce. They could not give back a girl they did not have. Why didn't they tell them that? Oh, they tried. But how could they prove they didn't have you? And the Greeks didn't care. The war wasn't about you. You were just an excuse. The war was about money and power and conquest. It was about heroes and glory. The men who died in the Trojan War died because they could not live with the idea of being called cowards for not going to the war. Being a man was about being able to fight. If you could not prove that you could fight, then you were not a man, and other men would shame you. But it was all lies. The other men were just afraid to die alone, so they pushed each other to go until they ignored their own sense of survival, their own sense of right and wrong. They went to war to prove to each other how manly they were, and when they died, they were called heroes. They took none of the blame for the men that they killed, or for their own deaths, or for not standing up and just saying, No, I will not fight, and nobody else should. Instead, they surrounded a city and laid siege to it until they burned it to the ground and wiped it from the face of the earth. Those of them that came home, they blamed you, and you weren't even there. That's not fair. That's not my fault. You're right. It's not fair. Life is not fair. And you're right. It's not your fault. So what do I do? What do you want to do? I want to be free. Then you will have to fight for it. I have to go back, don't I? That depends on what freedom means to you. Marry Menelaus and be his slave. Marry Paris and be free. What's the difference? What makes marriage to Paris freedom and marriage to Menelaus servitude? Because marrying Paris is my choice, and being forced to marry anyone else is not. Paris is not in France. If you stay in France, you will never meet them. You may keep your father from controlling you the way he wants to, and in that there is freedom. But their desire to keep you from Paris, that he will achieve. You will give him that victory. So on some level, even though it's your choice, if you leave now, you will never be free. At least, not free to marry Paris. I understand, I said, as I took a deep breath, taking the time to smell the night air once more. Will you walk me back to the house? Of course. Persephone took my arm as we turned round and began to walk back. Can I ask you a personal question? You may ask me anything. Is Hades alive or is he dead? How would I know? For me, nothing ever dies. I returned to my room. The morning was getting late, and I could hear the birds outside as the dawn broke, spreading light across the world and through my window. I'd been up all night, and I was going to need to pretend I wasn't sleepy for Penelope's lessons today. As I undressed, I heard the door open. I turned to see the headmaster standing in the doorway. Get out! It's not appropriate for you to be here. Get out of my room and lock the door behind you, I demanded. You're back. I thought I would have to send a search party to find you. He said as he stepped in closer. Yes, I'm back. Now... Get out of my room. You don't really want me to leave. I do. The night has turned into day and I have yet to sleep. Get out. I need to talk to you. Then speak to me in the library when my chaperone is present. 
This is not appropriate. But I'm here to make all your dreams come true. I stepped back as he walked forward until he backed me against the wall. I had taken off my dress, but I still wore my corset and underskirt. I was not naked, but without my dress I felt vulnerable. I tried to get away from him, but his hand shot out and grabbed my arm to hold me steady. You want to pretend you haven't been dreaming of me? I have not. I see how you look at me. I see how you move, flirting and teasing. You're not the girl you once were, and you are using your body to lure me in. You win. Here I am. I'm only thirteen, and I have not done any of these things. Unhand me and get out of my room. You won't say that once you know my secret. I don't want to know your secret. Yes, you do, he said, as he leaned in close, his breath on my neck. I cringed in revulsion. He whispered in my ear, I'm Paris. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead, except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at helenoftheironhorse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.